Hey, everybody, and welcome back in to Locked On Bama. Luke Robinson, that's me, and Jimmy Stein, that's him. Jimmy, how are you today? Good, 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 good. Came into the office today, but am remaining more than six feet away from any other human being, and everything is wiped down, including my hands, every 30 minutes or so. Well, that's, uh, that's all. You're Jimmy, you're doing your part, and this I, is all well, we can I want, I want football this year. I'm starting to panic. I'm going to tell you something. I think it's a very real possibility. Uh, I saw uh, something on the Twitter about the Olympics being postponed. Is that verified? Yeah, I saw that. And, uh, I mean, I I think there's a signal. I mean, you know, everybody's going to sort of copycat each other to an extent. And I do think that football is going to wait till, till the last minute. But, I mean, I'm just saying realistically (laughs) – I think we have to start mentally preparing ourselves for there either to be a late start to a season or no season or some sort of modified season, or maybe they play football with no one in the stadiums. Um, you know, after all the players have been cleared for by testing and, and who knows, uh, who knows? I, I'm not saying that that's information. I'm just saying that I think it's, when they're postponing the biggest sporting event in the world that takes place about a month before football starts practice. I I think we need to be realistic about what's going on here. Yeah, there's no doubt. And um, I think what's scary is Cecil Hurt's article today in the Tuscaloosa News um mm-hmm. he talked about a potential okay here's how we can tweak the football season let's you know move back fall practice starting date or whatever let's go to a 10 game schedule um only play conference games on and then have a 18 playoff with five conference champs and a, a group of five ref- representative which i've never understood why do we have to have a group of five representative when one may not be worthy why do we have to have five champions from the conferences when one may not be worthy. I never understood that, but whatever. Um, and then, uh, you know, an eight-game playoff. The problem with that is is a lot, and I love me some Cecil Hurt, but I think this is fraught with inconsistencies and problems in the sense that it, you're not going to just get rid of two regular season games. That's just not going to happen. I mean, there are too many teams that depend on that money. As a matter of fact, if anything, if they do that, it would probably help somebody like me who wants, you know, I'm frankly, I'm, I'm worried about the the power fives and Notre Dame. That's what I'm, that's what I like. I don't, I'm not as worried about, you know, the, the group of five and, and, the, and the smaller teams. I'm not as, I'm not as big a fan of theirs. Now that doesn't mean they're not good and they don't have a purpose in this world. I'm just saying like if, for my money, I want to see Ohio state taking on uh, Michigan versus Bowling Green taking on Miami of Ohio. I mean, it's just the way that I'm wired. And um, I know other people are, you know, like any football in any shape, form, or fashion. That's fine. Um, but I think if you were to go to something like this 10-game season that he proposes, I think in the end what you do is probably weed out some of these other schools that depend on these checks from Alabama and Auburn and LSU and Ohio State and they probably just wouldn't be able to afford to, to even have field a team anymore. So they might say, tech with it. And um, in the end, you'd be left with just the big boy standing. And I think it would, the irony is that all the people clamoring for the 18 playoff for more uh, inclusiveness 
would probably it'd probably be more exclusive in the end as in the long run. I think some other teams would be weeded out. Right. I think uh, Cecil wasn't, you know, I, I think this was just a one-year Band-Aid and not a, hey, this is what the sport's going to look like going forward. I think I think he meant it in terms of. Oh, I agree. We, we can't have a regular, we're not going to have spring Spring football is not going to happen. And that creates all sorts of problems that a lot of fans haven't considered, but is nevertheless something we're stuck with. Spring football doesn't just serve as uh, let's get acquainted period for the new guys or let's see what the starting lineup looks like and let's run through some plays and some shorts. Spring practice is the opportunity for teams to keep all of their players together and conditioned to play football. The problem is if you just tell everybody, okay, we're not going to have spring football and we can't have summer workouts, but everything will be back to normal starting August 1st. So everybody just enter fall camp and we're going to have a season like we always do. The players, particularly the linemen, will be grossly out of shape. I mean, they will be. That's just a fact. I mean, I know that they're all supposed to be working on their own and they're all supposed to be staying in condition, but this is they're not because they're kids. <laughs> and and a lot of adults wouldn't do it either. And they're completely on their own. And if they just show up August 1st going, okay, we're going to play, and it's 100 degrees at practice, and they're not in football shape, then kids are going to die, literally die. And then what? So I think a lot of the problem is just created by this. The players have been without management and will be without management for several weeks and several months, and just playing a normal season is just – very unlikely, you know, under that that scenario for player safety reasons. So that have nothing to do with the virus. So I I think Cecil's uh, thing was, hey, best case scenario, maybe we have a spring training in August and a fall camp at the end of August and September, and maybe we can tee it up around September nineteenth. And if we if we can do that, then what should the season look like? And Everyone's going to have an opinion. Cecil has his or his best opinion, I guess you'd say. Uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know what the solutions are to let's start the season September 19th. I don't know. I just know that I prefer it to just not playing at all. And that is very possible as well. That this fall, oh man, there may, there may be How a good. fall practice period followed by a spring practice next spring, which is the resumption about, of normalcy. Think about how devastating it would be to Tuscaloosa and Auburn and, shoot, for that matter, Hattiesburg and Starkville. And, man, I, I can't imagine how devastating it would be to those folks. And, it's, I, I mean, this whole thing, the ripple effect of this virus yeah. and – Look, this this thing ain't no joke. Um, but uh, at the same time, and I and I agree, we should overreact versus underreact. Because if you underreact and it doesn't work, uh, and you and you and it's and it is real, a big thing, then uh, it could certainly have dire consequences. But the overreaction has been pretty incredible, and and though it's probably the right thing to do. It has had all these ripple effects that are just incredibly scary. And Jimmy, I, you know, one thing I thought about yesterday, you know, you and I, we we can get together and and watch old games like we're going to talk about the A and M two fifth two thousand fifteen game today. 
but man, it, it is taking a toll on my psyche a little bit to not just flip over and sort of mindlessly watch sports as an escape. I mean, yeah. my, my whole day, yes, I was more productive yesterday. Uh, I got some things done around the house. But, you know, you can only wipe down the door handles and clean the basement <laughs> and mow the grass so many times before you're like, hey, there's got to be more to life. When you, especially when you can't go do anything else, you can't, I mean, it's not like you can just say, you know what, honey, grab, grab baby Sela and let's go, let's go get dinner at our favorite little spot. Let's go, let's go see our friends up the street. You can't do any of those things right now. I mean, you can do them, but you're taking a risk and you're, we have a three-year-old daughter. We're not going to go see any friends right now. That's stupid. So. Yeah. And it's only been a week, really. It's only been a week. And for some people, less than a week, and they're already saying things like this. I don't know what people are going to be saying in a month, but it seems to me that there's going to have to be multiple weeks of this before some level of normalcy comes back. And what what really needs to happen is some type of treatment to where if you do test positive, there are a regimen of drugs you can take, which will keep you off of ventilators. Uh, that, that, that would be the game changer. But I just can't see that happening overnight. I mean, they're doing clinical trials of all sorts of, of things that they're trying. But, uh, you know, and then once we have a vaccine, which we're likely to have by the end of the year or early next year, then life can completely return to normal as long as they make the vaccines, you know, uh, mandatory. <laughs> because some people just don't, won't even get vaccines because some, some people are convinced they know a, a lot more about medicine than doctors. So... That's just another soapbox thing, but that's just the world we live in where people on Twitter believe they know more medicine than doctors, more weather than meteorologists, more football than the football coaches. That's just they know us. <laughs> that's the world we're living in. Hey, uh, okay, let's go ahead and take a break, Jimmy. Um, and when we come back, we're going to go ahead and get out or get rid of this virus stuff and talk about 2015 A&M. Heck yeah. All right, Jimmy, 2015 Texas A&M, uh, boy, you want to talk about just a fun game. It's another one of those uh, contests where we had multiple knots. Big uh, plays. Big plays and, and just uh, non-offensive touchdowns. And uh, I, I swear the one Eddie Jackson picked off uh, the, his, his second interception against Kyler Murray, uh, I thought that one was going to go all the way to the house, which would have been – Pretty incredible. That would have been three, four INTs for touchdowns. It would have been four because Minka had two and Minka Eddie had Jackson two. had That's the right. other one. That's and, right. That would have been uh, four. And speaking in that light, of course, Alabama won this game. Uh, I think the final was what, 41 to 30? 41-23. 41-23, but it was sort of closer than that. I mean, kind of weird. Well, it, was, it was a weird 41-23 game. I could also make the argument it was weirdly further apart than that. I mean, frankly, Alabama left so many points on the table. We just sort of piddle-dicked around a few times doing some lane kipping stuff when really if this could have been one of those hand the ball to Derrick Henry every time and see what they can do with it, and the answer is We scored 41, and I would say we didn't throw the ball well at all. We, we We did not have a good game throwing the football and still ended up with 41 points on the board. Did they have better receivers than us? Yes, I yes, that was one of my question. first observations. They really did. Now, we had uh, Ridley, and who was a freshman, 
you know, we, we had freshman Ridley, who was by far our best. And beyond that, we didn't have much in the sense that O.J. Howard wasn't kind of ready to bust out just yet or hadn't busted out. But they had not only good players like Ricky Seals-Jones, they had a fleet of them, Christian Kirk, Ricky Seals-Jones, and Josh Reynolds, all of whom are having excellent NFL careers. Uh, they were three or four deep with big-time receivers. And, uh, you know, my, it's kind of a headline for those that don't remember it, and you already mentioned his name. But, but to me, I, I'm just going to refer to this game as the first time we beat Kyler Murray. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, because <laughs> we would beat him again question. later. That's a great question for anybody uh, because I think people will remember this game for two ways. You either remember it as the first time we beat Kyler Murray and like remember vividly when Kyler Murray came in the game, or you don't remember he came in the game at all. I mean, because exactly. he was such a he came in for like a split second, throws a pick because it, it, Eddie Jackson baited him into that play there is zero doubt in yeah. my mind eddie jackson saw it develop and then he went over there because if you look the only defender in the area is eddie jackson it was a pretty well-designed play except for the fact that eddie jackson is eddie jackson i also love this although it's kind of a, a something you never saw coming because he certainly didn't have a great career at a m and in fact would also transfer out a couple of times but how about the fact that kyle allen who, who threw three picks in this game and made him look pretty bad. Now, he was a true freshman. But Kyle Allen looked pretty bad in this game. Kyle Allen is now, you could argue, an established NFL quarterback, not so much as a starter, though he did start almost the entire season for the Carolina Panthers when Cam was hurt. But Kyle Allen right. played well enough in Cam's absence to where he clearly is going to be someone's number two this fall, if not a starting quarterback in Carolina or whoever's – got his contract. I mean, Kyle Allen, I'm not saying he's great. I'm not saying he's excellent. I'm just saying that I use the term established in the sense that he's certainly going to be on a roster. There's only 60, 64, 64 to 96 as a max. There's only 64 to 96 NFL quarterbacks, you know, in the world. Kyle Allen's one of them. So, uh, we made him look pretty bad. Uh, our defense was more opportunistic than awesome in the game. I felt that we did completely stuff out their run. They did make some big plays in the passing game against us when we weren't picking off the balls. But I, I do think that's what made this defense awesome, but not quite 1992 or 2011. The 92 and 2011 defenses just gave up absolutely nothing. The 15 defense would give up some points. They'd give up some yards. But they were a big play defense. I mean, it was oh. only a matter of time before they were going to be going to be standing in the other end zone with the ball. Is is Eddie Jackson the best interception return man? Oh, uh, you know, maybe of all time. I mean, he's in the discussion. maybe he should be playing offense. Maybe he should be playing but offense when you watch him intercept. Wasn't the ball he recruited as a wide receiver? Turn a punt. Some some teams some teams liked him as a wide receiver. I think he wanted to play defense because the kid's tough on top of everything else. You know, he's a he's one of. I mean, I know he had some injury issues, and he also got off to a slow start at Alabama. I think college football was a big adjustment for him mentally. But once Eddie Jackson understood everything and was healthy, I'm not so sure Luke he doesn't belong in a conversation of top ten players in the, of the Saban era. 
health after he knew what he was doing and healthy. I'm not sure we had nine guys play any better than him. I mean, he he was a dominant player, but boy, he had some he had some bad luck at Alabama, and that that injury during his final season kept him off first team All American list, kept him out of the first round of the draft. I'll tell you what, since he's since he's been in the NFL playing for the Chicago Bears, um, he he's played he's played like a first round pick, and he was drafted in the fourth round due to injuries. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he is he's a Pro Bowler. I mean, and I think it's clear, and I think he is the best. I mean, he's not as a punt returner, he was damn good too. I mean, he had a punt return touchdown against Ole Miss, had one against Tennessee. Um, I can't remember any other punt return touchdown. He would have had more. As it, he was, he made more big plays per punt return than any any guy I can remember at Alabama. I mean, in terms of, I'm not saying he's the best. I'm just saying. In terms of making a big play with the ball, there was like a percentage of his punt returns, like you know, like twenty five percent of his punt returns ended up being a really big play for us, as opposed to even a premier ten percent. And he was like twenty five percent. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, unbelievable. And and then here's some irony. I think that it was a punt return against A and M the next year in sixteen when he got hurt and broke his leg. And had he not been hurt, I, I still maintain we win the national championship in 16, Jalen Hurts' mm-hmm. freshman year. Is that I have right? No, I have no doubt that that's true. I have no doubt that that's true. You, like we're the most injured team in the country. I think every, everybody's got some injuries. But you can easily point to our teams that were just short of a national championship. And we're always going to have one or two guys that were missing due to injury that would have made a big difference, whether it was Vinny Sinceri back in 2014 or, or or Eddie Jackson, you know, in, in 2016 to, you know, any litany of guys we would want to use. I'd say Dylan Moses. We might we might win the national championship even with Tua injured if we'd had Dylan Moses all season. Maybe. No, that's right. I don't know that uh, Auburn, about, Auburn and LSU would have just been running up in the field scoring – high 40 points a game with Dylan Moses out there directing and Dylan directing the defense being more important than him just making the plays in the middle of the field. I'm glad you brought up uh, Vinny Sinceri too. Just, is there any season where Vinny Sinceri would not play at the University of Alabama? I'm talking about in any era. Now you could make the same claim about Julio Jones. I get that. But I'm saying in terms of an unassuming player, somebody who you just can't keep him off the field. I mean, there, there seems fans to be fans will never understand guys. it. Fans will never understand it, but it, but it is just a fact that your defense radically improves when you get to put the defensive coach in the middle of the field. That's right. <laughs> when you when you literally put the coach on that line in the game, it, it, it changes everything in terms of everybody getting lined up and covering the right guy. Just eliminate bus. It eliminates bus or certainly reduces them. And bus, let me ask just any Alabama fan, listen to this. Do y'all think we lose games? I'm not talking about injuries. I'm not talking about injuries. I'm talking about the, do y'all think the games we've lost is because the other team lined up and just whipped our ass? Or did we lose a lot of these games because we had young players in the wrong place at the wrong time because they didn't know where to be? And that's, that's what Vinny would have changed in 2014. And, and think of this. I mean, I, I talk about that 2014 team all the time. That was the Blake Sims quarterback because that defense was sort of a mess. 
for, and, and it was an injured defense, but, but we had sort of a mess. Vinny would have fixed it all because one of the, one of the fixes with Vinny being hurt and out, one of the fixes was Landon. Landon had to be the traffic cop. So we had to line him up at safety. You have to put the traffic cop in the middle of the field. So Landon had to play safety so he could get everybody lined up. Well, that did two things. Number one, it took our most dynamic defensive playmaker away from the ball. And number two, Landon wasn't a great traffic cop. He was just the best we had. Landon was the only one that could really do it with Vinny out. So it made us weak in a couple positions. If Vinny had been the traffic cop, we would have been much better aligned and it would have freed up Landon to just run around and chase the ball instead of worrying about where everybody else was lining up. So it would have made a massive difference. And uh, would we have won the national championship? I wouldn't tell you we wouldn't have. We would have been, would have had a better shot. All right, Jimmy, let's go ahead and take our second break here. And when we come back, we'll wrap up this 2015 A&M rewatch. So, Jimmy, I got to ask you this about this 2015 Texas A&M Alabama game. WTF is an Aggie. Hmm? WTF. You, you know what that stands for? Uh, what is an why Aggie? The, why the face? Yeah. What, <laughs> I, I looked it up, actually. An Aggie is short for agricultural. Okay, right. I swear to God, call me a moron. That's fine. You'll, you'd be right. I swear, I just assumed an Aggie is a type of dog because they have dogs all the way, always there. But yeah. they, it's not. It is just short for agricultural. Did you know that? It's an, it's an I, 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 will, I don't know that I'd have bet a lot of money on it, but yeah, I, 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 I would have gone with that, but I, I didn't know that for sure. Uh, I guess, and I also think it's an old term. I mean, I don't think you call farmers Aggies anymore. I guess that was kind of a term back in the 1880s or 1890 for farmers. They'd call them Aggies, I guess. But we don't do that anymore. Weirdly, however, we call a few football teams that A&M's not the only one. I think New Mexico State's the Aggies. Um, I think there's others. And uh, yeah. What, it's weird. They're, they're, they're a bizarre school. I'm glad to have them in the league because they were such a good addition in many ways. Uh, it opened up Texas for SEC recruiting more than ever. It put the SEC network on TV in heavily populated East Texas. Uh, a lot of good players, Johnny Manziel, Heisman, um, Jimmy Fisher, all that money. I mean, they're an SEC team. I think they're a better fit in the SEC than they were in their last league. But, man, they, they do have some pretty bizarre out-there traditions. It is, it is quite odd. It is – you got to think Auburn admires their cultishness, don't, don't you? I mean, like Auburn's like, man, I wish we could get our cult together the way they get their it's, cult together. Because Auburn's cultic tactics are – is cultic a word? It's also, it's also this similarity to Auburn with me is – Every July or August when I'm like, okay, I'm going to make my official predictions. I'm going to put my neck out there and just put it in print and, and talk about it on the radio and the podcast about what I think is going to happen. If I have underrated a, a team in the SEC, if I've underrated one, 
you can bet every year it's Auburn. And I'm trying to be objective. It's nothing I do on purpose. I, I try to look at Auburn like I do the rest of the teams in the league. But I annually underestimate how good Auburn ends up being. And equally, I overestimate how good A&M is. I don't know what it is about. Maybe yeah. it's that Texas that recruiting and their recruiting rankings. It's just Texas players and their recruiting rankings and their money and facilities and flashiness. But every year I'm like, ah, I like A&M to win 10, and they win seven. And then conversely, I'm going, oh, I think Auburn only has enough horses to win seven, and then they win 10. I mean, uh, it's, That's exactly it's, right. it's, un, it's uncanny with me about – Hey, for as much as I underrank Auburn every season, I tend to overrate A&M. But it makes sense, doesn't it? Because, I mean, A&M actually has all the resources. And A&M is pretty close to Houston. I mean, it's close enough. It's close enough to Houston. Um, it's got more money than a colleague can jump over. Um, and and meanwhile, Auburn is a small university. It's not even the largest in this state, um, and it's it's in a tucked away, and you know, it's yeah, it's two hours from Atlanta, but the two hours from Atlanta at, versus two hours from Houston, it, it, they don't really seem to jive, especially when it's in a different state. Um, it just seems like A and M has all the resources, so it it makes sense that we would overestimate them always and underestimate Auburn always. And I think the irony is both both fan bases relish their respective roles. Like I think Texas A&M loves the fact that people respect the hell out of them for zero accomplishments on the field. And Auburn (laughs) fans relish the fact that nobody ever wants to give them credit for all they have done on the field, which is pretty much a lot. Yep. Yep. That's all. That's all true. But I find their programs sort of similar. Um, even though in so many ways they're radically different, but but they're they're just very similar to me in terms of uh, talent level, uh, traditions. Uh, obviously, they're both agricultural schools. Um, maybe it's because on almost every state, there's like a state school that's got you know doctors, lawyers, and businessmen, and then there's this other school that is more agricultural and engineer and engineer you know related. Get that? It could be Nick. Could be Nick. Nick's not pleased with I'm, our I'm, off-season shows. It, it, it doesn't seem to be Nick. I think it's Mike Shula calling. Uh, I'm just going to let him go to voicemail. Yeah, he's going to be really pissed um, based on what is said about him. But what I'm saying is, uh, you know, Texas is the school like Alabama and is a school like Auburn. And South Carolina, actually, South Carolina is like Alabama. Clemson's like Auburn. Uh, you know, Ole Miss is like Alabama. Mississippi State's like Auburn. So maybe it's that. All right, let's let's do some rapid fire things here. And again, this game is a lot of fun to watch. Derrick Henry has a long touchdown run in this game. He has a couple of other touchdowns actually. He's too. starting um, to win the Heisman is what he's doing in this game. I mean, now he's on yeah. the Heisman radar and he's putting up big numbers and national televised games like this one. And yeah, he's starting to win the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, Minka Fitzpatrick also. I mean. You know, just a guy that continues to score. It's funny, we're talking about the exact same guys having big games that had the exact same kind of games against Georgia. Minka Fitzpatrick scoring a non-offensive touchdown. I mean, that makes sense. He doesn't play offense. Eddie Jackson returning another pick for a touchdown, almost returned another one for a touchdown. Uh, Jake Coker, not flashy, but really tough. Um, 
the uh, let, let's see, Reuben Foster with some big hits again, Derrick Henry doing his thing, et cetera, et cetera. One thing that uh, jumped out to me, and I can't believe I'm saying this out loud about a game that mattered early in a game, one of our first passes was a swing pass to Derek Keefe. Did you, <laughs> did you see that? Are you t- – uh, I – yes, 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 it but is true. My and question I think, is – I think he was just in the game because one of our normal guys got uh, dinged up. Somebody got dinged so. and he came in. Yeah, but we threw it to him anyway. Or maybe it was Lane Kiffin trying to be cute, like they'll never think we're throwing it to 81. <laughs> and then we throw it to 81. Yeah, I think he got. I think somebody got dinged up, and he replaced whoever was dinged up, and 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 the next call was going to them, and they're like, "Screw it, do it anyway." Keith is now, by the way, a graduate assistant for Loxley. I think that's right. I think so. I think he's going to Maryland to be a GA. Um, mm-hmm. I forget this game went to twenty-eight to twenty. I mean, it should have <laughs> easily been, you know, much worse, a much wider margin. We gave up a big punt return, as we always seem to do, give up a touchdown on a kickoff or a punt return. We gave up a punt return touchdown to Christian Kirk. Um, and then this game got to 28-20. And, in fact, they had a chance uh, to kick it another field goal. I think right before the half they missed. And then um, coming out the second half, we go three and out, and they get the ball back and miss another field goal. Their, their badass kicker misses two field goals that really could have been sphincter tightening moments. Um, the one thing I noticed about this game, too, and I think this has been true of Texas A&M teams until this point, that may change this year, they just don't enjoy tackling. They just don't like it. They don't want to do it. They, they, it's something for them, it's like paying taxes. Okay, we got to do it, but we hate this. <laughs> That's why they hired Jimbo. I mean, I know people yeah. look at him as a quarterback whisperer and an offensive coach. But the fact of the matter is Jimbo Fisher is a Nick Saban disciple, and he's tough. He's a tough guy. He wants his teams tough. And they, they spent all that money trying to get a tougher football team uh, for that very, very, very reason. Uh, last question, Jimmy, about this game. All right. And I think this is a legit question. Even though Arkansas has been a member of the SEC since 1992, and A&M's only been a member – since 2012. So Arkansas has a 20-year head start on them. And Alabama has played Arkansas every other year at their place since 92. Do you think more Alabama fans have been to College Station or to Vietnam since joining <laughs> the league? I'm going to say College Station. Uh, I mean, because of Arkansas's head start, I'd have to say Arkansas, but I, I think it's a great question. I, I know this. I have actually never been to either place, and I've gone to most. I've never been to either place, and if I was choosing one or the other, it's not even a close call. And that's because of no, you true. know history, history and tradition uh, more than anything else. But uh, well, I'm still well, appreciate thing, what you know, Arkansas brings to the league. Hmm? The College Station is kind of like a college football bucket list. Vietnam is a college football oh honeydew list. I mean, it's something you've got to – okay, I mean, i got to knock it off to to complete this series of tasks, meaning going to every away stadium in the SEC. I've got to go to Vietnam. I mean, i got to do it. Right. But it's the last right. place everybody goes. It, College yep. Station is like, oh, this could be fun. I mean, I fly into Houston, drive over there, see a bunch of dudes, do the elephant walk, whatever the hell that is, and then kick their ass and come <laughs> home. But in Arkansas, right. I mean, you've got to – 
you know, you got to drive to Memphis, get on a helicopter, you know, take a ferry to, you know, you got to do all this other shit, ride a camel until you finally get to Vietnam. And then you're like, how do I get home? I mean, you feel like John Wick <laughs> in the last John Wick movie. You're like, I'm in the middle of Morocco or wherever the hell I am. How am I getting out of here? <laughs> yeah. I thought we were keeping this one short today. Look what we did to the people. We just get talking about beat. We get to talking about beating A&M and we up. Maybe it's it's enough comparison it's a show to Auburn about is so nothing. good. It's the comparison to Auburn is so good. We get excited about talking about beating A&M. No, I think that's a good point. Um, well, so on that note, I think you've made it a perfect segue to end this beautiful podcast. Yeah, I got to get to some lawyering, actually. But, uh, yeah, we'll be back tomorrow. How about this game? Uh, I, and I know it's crazy because it's like, what for whatever reason, I, I think we want we win handily. But let's do 2015 Auburn while we're at it, just simply because I know we won, but I, I can't exactly remember what happens. I, it was our first game back since the kick six. And uh, yeah. I do know that uh, Adam Griffith has a really good game. As a matter of fact, Adam Griffith out kicks Daniel Carlson in that that's game. Yeah. Uh, that's what I remember. That's what I remember specifically. But, yeah, we'll do 2015 Auburn tomorrow. All right, buddy. Roll Tide. <laughs>